Amen. Good morning. How's everybody? How was the fourth? Did you blow up the valley? Anybody uh, have some good barbecue? Yeah. What was? What did you barbecue on the fourth? Brisket. Oh man, I should have come over there and eaten some brisket. Some burgers, dogs, anything else? Some steaks. Oh, gotta love it. Well, I was reading the text today out of Ezra chapter 8, and uh, there was a really big barbecue that happens. <laughs> it was probably bigger than your barbecue. Uh, let's see, what'd they barbecue? Uh, 12, ram- 12 bowls, 96 rams. 77 lambs and 12 goats. I don't think any of you could beat that record for your 4th of July barbecue. That's a lot of barbecue. We're going to dig into this text this morning. Um, It was a different kind of barbecue, though. It wasn't just a regular, like, 4th of July barbecue. It wasn't a holiday. It was actually an offering to the Lord. And this offering to the Lord was... uh, was a bit of a different offering to the Lord because it wasn't an offering to the Lord that was really... um, from the heart necessarily of God's people, but it was an offering that came from someone else under the direction of someone else who said, would you do an offering for me and I'll pay for it? That's the best kind, right? Someone do this, I'll pay for it. Has that ever happened to anybody before? They say, well, you go, maybe it was something small, like go buy me a drink at Starbucks and I'll pay for one for you too. Have you ever had that happen to you? That's, that's good stuff right there. Um, well, that's what we look. That's what's happening here in Ezra chapter eight. And so, I just want to say in Ezra eight, I just want to apologize because um, I planned one sermon in Ezra eight. We're on our third one now. Um, this is the series that will never end. It just goes on and on, my friend. <clears throat> but there's just too much in God's word to skip, so we're just going to keep going. So my Fourth of July was was good. We had a great time with family, and then I got to officiate my niece's wedding. And then about an hour after the wedding, I got to lose my voice. And then yesterday, my family didn't have to listen to me talk at all uh, because I just didn't talk. And so today, um, if it sounds like I'm going through adolescence, um, <clears throat> it's, it's probably not true. Um, I'm just getting my voice back. So, um, but uh, Pastor Matt was talking about our, the building, the city, and the call to prayer. And, uh, and we want you to pray while you're out here for our building project. Um, we, we are kind of in a limbo place right now because um, we're waiting for our wetland biologist to redo some reports, and his business partner broke his leg, and so he had to take over all of his business partner's jobs, and so they're just swamped right now. So we're just, we're waiting, um, the city's waiting on us now, and so it's kind of just how this whole thing goes, back and forth and back and forth. So, uh, but we need favor, we need opposition cleared out of the way. Uh, we, we need God to come through and make this thing happen. So pray for that. Any way that God can do it, pray for that. <clears throat> so let's, let's dig into this, this offering that was given in Ezra chapter 8. So just to catch you up, if you're, if you're new with us, welcome. This morning it's good to have you here. We have been studying the book of Ezra, and here we have these exiled people, and they've returned back to Jerusalem, and they're re- they've rebuilt this temple under the leader by the name of Zerubbabel. And then 
Ezra, many, many years later, leads a second group back, around 5,000 people. And as they go back, as we saw last week, that they are going back with a lot of gold and silver. Uh, it, it was, it was um, over 30 tons. My dad and I were doing the math last week, and we figured out it's around, I think, $275 million or something like that in today's, today's currency, <clears throat> if you take the price of gold and silver. But they're off on their journey to do the work of the temple and to, to worship the Lord. And so we start with Ezra chapter 8, verse 31. And I don't have the scripture on here today because we're going to read a couple chunks of scripture and it would just be too small. So grab your Bibles, grab your church app, uh, Abundant Life Ording, and follow along with the notes. Grab you version, whatever it takes, but let's read together. This is the English Standard Version of Ezra chapter 8, verse 31. It says, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy from ambushes along the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah. And with them was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, which I don't know where Ferb is in this whole thing, but <clears throat> should be there too. And with him, best show ever, and with him were the Levites, Josebed, the son of Jeshua, Noadiah, and the son of Benui. Then the whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to Israel, to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all of Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God." So they make it, they finally have arrived on their journey, and this was a few months long of a journey that God kept them safe along the way, and we looked at that last week. But they, they get there, and there's three things that happen when they arrive that we see in the texts. The first thing that happens is they count out all the gold and all the silver, and they distribute it to the right people. If you're carrying a bunch of gold and silver, and it's supposed to go to a place, it's a good idea when you get there to make sure it makes it in to the right hands. That's the first thing they do. And secondly, they have the sacrifice of all of these animals to the Lord as burnt offerings. And then third, they deliver instructions from the king to the local government authorities. Did you hear that? The king entrusted them. He entrusted the church. He entrusted God's people to handle government business on his behalf. The king said, I want you to go and I want you to do this thing for me, and I want you to deliver these orders. Now, they've come a long way since the days of Zerubbabel when the government was actually opposing them and sending out letters of accusation. Now they're walking fully in the favor of the king. And we've seen this in our society over times. I remember after the, the big recession, anyone remember that one? 20, 2008, 2009, everything was falling apart. The government was running out of all, of all their money to do all their programs. And so they started turning to the Christian programs for all this. And you saw like Salvation Army and Catholic Community Services and these kind of organizations rising up and taking all of these programs and putting all these programs on because the government was like, we just don't have any money left. God's people stepping in and saying, we will do the work that is needed. And here, the government, the king is saying, do this work for me. 
So these three things, was there significance to these things? Why would they do these three things? Why, why, would they, why are they counting out money? Why are they doing this big sacrifice? And why are they delivering these orders from the king? They could have done lots of things when they got there. I don't know if I would have got, when I arrived, I would have taken a shower. That would have been in the text. First thing, just give me a nap and a shower and we're ready to go. But that's not what it says. It says that they counted money, they made an offering, and they sent the king's commissions. So why did they do those three things? I'm glad you asked because we're going to look. Let's go back a page to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra was actually following through with a request. He was following through with some orders of the king. And you wouldn't think that the orders of the king would necessarily be bring a whole lot of money into the temple. Just here's a, just a load of money for the church. That was an order from the king. Here is a sacrifice I want you to make. That was an order from the king. Here is, here is some instructions I want you to give to the local government that the church is to have extreme favor. That was an order from the king. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 7 and see what it was that King Artaxerxes had asked Ezra to do for him. You see, we're going to start with verse 14, but the king had taken notice of what was going on in the province of Judah. The king was aware. Something special was happening after God's people had returned and rebuilt the temple. You might even call it revival. That something was changing in their hearts. Something was changing in society. Something was changing in their culture. And word got back to the king about the God of the Israelites and about how Judah was now flourishing now that the temple had been rebuilt, now that they were worshiping the God of heaven, everything was going good in this land. Now kings like things to go good in the land that they govern. And so the king hearing that everything was going so well now that these, these Jews were back in their land and doing what they were supposed to be doing by worshiping their God, the king heard this news and thought to himself, I'm going to make this even, I'm going to help this along because I want it to go well for my land. And so to make this province even better, he sent this letter to Ezra with the following instructions. And we'll pick up in verse 14. It says, for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered. I'm going to read that part again. And also to carry the silver and gold that who offered? The king and his counselors offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold you shall, uh, all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and the free, with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall, with all diligence, buy bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers, do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, and you shall deliver them before the God of Jerusalem, and whatever else is required... For the house of your God, which falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. So he goes on to give money. He gives authority. He gives tax breaks. 
he gives all kinds of things to Ezra and to the people. And what's remarkable is that much of the money that they transported back to Jerusalem was government money that was designated to be spent on the sacrifice of animals and the promotion of temple worship. That's crazy to me. And he actually, not only that, he gives Ezra a blank check. He says, if you need anything else, just take it from the treasury. In fact, not only that, he says, buy these things. And if there's any money left over, do whatever you want with it. Has your government ever said that to you? <laughs> I don't think so. But this king is, is, is looking at this situation and saying, you know, just whatever you think is best. Here's what I need you to know. God still moves the hearts of kings on behalf of his people. He still does to this day. He can still move the hearts of kings. It may not feel like it every day, but God can move the hearts of kings. And he still what takes what belongs to the world or what appears to belong to the world, and he uses it for his glory. He gives favor with those in positions of power. He strategically connects God's people with resources to do his work. Now, in our time, in today's age, we are a bit leery to accept government money. I don't know about you. I don't know if, as the church, I'm talking as the church, do you blame us? There's always seems to be strings attached, right? You never really know the motivation behind the gift, but there was, that wasn't the case here. There was no strings attached. Like I said, he just said, just use it to buy these things and then you ask God what to do with the rest. It would be like saying, here's a grant, Abundant Life Church, to purchase all the new worship equipment that you need. And when you're done, Pastor Mike says hallelujah. And when you're done, you just go ahead and use it however you think it should be used. And we won't ask any questions. You don't need to send a report back. Just we're going to trust you with this. Now, now, this king wasn't just giving the money for the sake of giving money. He actually was motivated in his heart to worship God. This king, this worldly king, was motivated in his heart to worship God. And it wasn't necessarily a motivation of like, I just love the Lord so much and I, I want to honor him. It was a little bit of a different motivation in his heart. And we see that King Artaxerxes' motivation right here in verse 23 of Ezra 7. It says, whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. See, the king actually had a fear of the Lord. The king was a little bit scared. He was a little bit like unsure of, of this God of heaven who had been shown so powerful and so mighty and so strong. And he had known that the God of heaven was the ultimate authority. And so he wanted to put himself in a position in which he revered the God of heaven and the God of heaven would say, hey, I'm the King Artaxerxes, he's all right. He's all right because he recognizes me as someone who's greater in authority. And so he recognizes God as powerful and mighty in the only way he knew how. And in the only way a king knows how is just to give a whole lot of money. Just pay tribute. I'm going to give all this money. I'm going to give all this stuff. And that's going to be my act of worship to God. And this tribute resulted in abundance of resource for God's people. 
This wasn't money that they saw coming. This wasn't part of the plan. It doesn't say anywhere in our text that Ezra was getting ready to go back to Judah to worship at the temple, but he just didn't know if he was going to have enough money to do it. He didn't know if he was going to have the resources to do it. He was just going, trusting that whatever he needed, God was going to provide, and then he gets this letter from the king. He was going to go back and teach the people, teach the laws, the ways of God. But here's what I need you to know. When God calls us to something, he brings the resources to provide for that something. When God calls us out, when God says, I need you to go do this, God will resource it. Have you ever had God resources show up unexpectedly in your life before? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, it's happened to me more times than I could think of. God resources. I want to just talk to you this morning about God resources. I've discovered that God's resources are so much better than my resources. They, they work better. They last longer. They go farther. And there's just way more of them. Like when, when, when things come up in my life and I trust in God, his, his resources over and over again prove that they're just better. Have you discovered this truth in your life when you're putting your trust in God? I mean, it can be a variety of things. Now, honestly, we think of, of money. That's what we think of most as resources, right? And, and God's done that. God, when, when we're falling behind on finances and we're not sure how it's going to work out, then all of a sudden, like, money just like shows up and people say money doesn't grow on trees but i like i sometimes i wonder like with god if it just does just shows up out of the ordinary every once in a while in those times when we're trusting in him not just it's not just about money like i've gone in and i've traded in a car and they've given me way too much money for it like it's not worth that i traded in a car once where I swear the wheels were about to fall off. They were completely bald. It is way, way too many miles on it. And, uh, and they, they originally were like, that's yeah, worth 500 bucks. I think I walked out of there and they gave me like 2,500 bucks for the car. I don't know why, but they just did. God resources. Or, or when Bethany and I were trying to have children and we couldn't have children, he was like, poof, here's a kid. And I guess that's how it works. Poof, here's a kid. Three times. Poof. That, that sounds like a writing to fall. Three times I asked the Lord, poof, there's a kid. Like, that's just like how it is. And, <clears throat> and, and I, I remember the, the, our fourth child, Leanna, when Bethany uh, got pregnant, she's like, this is way harder. <laughs> Let's go back to the adoption thing. It's way better. Way, way better. <clears throat> but it's God resources. It, it's, it's, it's ideas that we can't come up with. It's wisdom that we don't have. It's, it's, God saying, I have every resource that you would ever need. And I want you to trust me for that resource. Sometimes it's wisdom in a situation. I, I, was, I was in Costco. I think I might have shared this somewhat recently, but I was in Costco and we had a car broken down and I am not a mechanic. And the Lord just gave me this, this idea in my head of what was wrong with the car, which is really weird because I don't know anything. And I went and I tried it and it worked. God resources and the car's still running just fine. God resources. I didn't even have to buy any parts. Like God just does this stuff. When we say, God, I'm going to choose to trust you in this. I'm going to choose to trust you. That doesn't mean there haven't been times in my life where there's, I felt like, you know, the pressure's on. 
You know, have those seasons in your life? You might be one right now. The pressure's on. I feel like there's not enough. But we go back to the Lord and we say, God, I know that your resources are endless. See, with God resources, here's what you need to know. God has an endless supply of resources. We just tell someone next to you, God's resources are endless. See, your resources are going to run out. Here's, a, here's an example. What do you guys do every night? Sleep. <laughs> you know what God doesn't do? You know why? Because the amount of energy that your body has is a resource, and it runs out, and you have to sleep to replenish it. You know who never sleeps? God. He doesn't need to sleep. His resources for energy are endless. He doesn't need to. It says in Psalm 50, verse 10, it says, For all of the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I remember when I was young reading this verse, and, and someone's like, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'm like, I don't want cattle. I just want cash. I just need a car. Okay? But it's a metaphor, so just stay with me. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and, on all, and all the animals of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it. I think that's funny. You know, that's interesting because I have asked the Lord to speak and I've prayed and I've built relationship with the Lord. And come to think of it, there's never been a time in my times with the Lord where he said to me, Brad, I'm hungry. That's never come up. And now I know why. Scripturally, that's not going to happen. Because why would I tell you? I don't need to. I, I've got everything I need. I don't. Everything is mine. It's all his. And he has more than enough. But that begins in our lives when we look at our stuff, the things that we own, the things that we possess. And we also take that into account in our own lives with our own things to say, it's all his. It's all his, and that's the attitude I have about my life, about my house, about my family, about this church. I don't like to say my church. That sounds weird to me. This church, it's his. It's all his. It's all his. It all belongs to him. Everything is his, and I want to keep it that way because when it's his, I can tap into the endless resources that are his. In 1 Kings 17... God took just a little bit of oil and flour and he supernaturally reproduced it over and over and over again so that it wouldn't run out for a poor widow who had nothing. In Mark 6, he took five loaves, two fish, and fed what? 5,000 men plus whoever else was there. He doesn't run out of resources. And I want us as his people to stop limiting God by what we can or cannot see. We limit him by what we can see and what we can't see. But instead, we've got to trust God for what he can do, knowing that he has an endless supply of resources. Never runs out. And maybe that resource for you, and you're like, but you don't understand, I'm actually out of money. I get that. But see, what happens when you run out of money is you get a whole lot of anxiety and you get a whole lot of worry and you get a whole lot of trouble. But his resource for you right now might be a whole lot of peace and a whole long, lot of joy and a whole lot of security that your God is not going to let you fail. Yeah. 
That might be the resource he's giving you right now. Take it out of the realm of cash. We've got to get out of our minds and think God's resources are infinite. They are endless. And they will just continue to pour into his people as we trust him. Because we've got to know also that even the world's resources are his resources because he holds the world. It says in Psalm 95, 4, he holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. Even what seems like the world's resources are actually still in the hand of God. He still holds them. He holds the earth and everything in it. And when the Lord calls you to something and you're sitting there and you're thinking, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to pull this off? Just sing the little song you learned in in Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. It just, it, it's, God's got the world in his hands. It's all his. Look around your world. There are resources of plenty and they all belong to him. At any moment, he can shift them any way he needs to. In this case, in the scripture, he took this opportunity to shift resources that belonged to a Persian king, and he shifted those resources straight into his temple, straight into his church, straight into his people, and it was a lot. I mean, I would be so happy if the Lord were to shift $5 million from the world's resources right into Abundant Life Building Fund. Hallelujah. I mean, this was way more than that. He shifted so much more than that. And God can shift resources because they all belong to him. I need you to know that. God holds the world. He holds the world. The third thing is this, God will resource his plans by whatever means necessary. I, we tend to limit God by telling him what channels he can and cannot use. We tend to limit God and say, God, I, I don't know how this is going to work. God, this doesn't seem to be working out. And we fixate on one channel. We fixate on one channel, we, we, whether it's my job's not bringing in enough or the GoFundMe's not generating enough, and we fixate on these channels. But God can use a good paying job. God can use a generous heart. He can use the godly, and God can also use the ungodly. He can use the ungodly. I mean, there's nothing more like satisfying than, than watching the wicked benefit the kingdom of God accidentally <laughs> accidentally someone said well would you take money from uh, whatever for build your church I don't know someone asked me that once someone asked me if you would take money from something and put their logo on your bill I'm like okay you're crossing the line <clears throat> would you take money well, here's the thing it's all God's it all belongs to him if God wants to resource it in ways that are outside of my thinking God wants to resource any way he can the resource might be something that I couldn't think of. See, God can use a king who has more disposable income than he knows what to do with. And he can use a widow with a couple of coins. And we see both in the Bible. We see him using a widow with her very last, and we see a king with so much income he doesn't know what to do with, and God resources 
his kingdom and his people. Don't limit God. Don't limit God when you just tell someone, stop limiting God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My question for you is, what do you need God to supply today? Where do you need him to come through? The resource might be money or it might be uh, a source of provision. Maybe you need a job today. You're like, I need, I need God to provide me with a job. Let's believe together for our brother or sister who needs that. It might be creativity you hadn't thought of before. Maybe the resource God wants to give you is creativity. You're like, I didn't, I didn't think that was possible. The way he provides isn't always conventional, but he does provide. He does have resources. And so we say, God, I need your resources. I need your way. God, I want to walk in your plans. I want to do life your way. I want to live by your standards, God. And I want to live under your covering because, God, I need your resources. And if you go to him with your needs, oh, you won't be disappointed. You will be amazed at what God will do. Maybe God's called you to something this morning and you're like, I know God wants me to do this but I'm stuck because I'm like, I don't have what it takes to pull this off. Moses, <laughs> that's what he told God. And it wasn't a money issue. He said, I don't have the personality. I don't have the speaking skill. I don't have what it takes to pull this off. And God resourced him. I don't have the ability. I don't have what it takes. Let God resource you. Are you short on resources and you desperately need God to show up, let's invite him into those places and say, God, I need you to come and meet me where I'm at. So would you stand with me today as we close in prayer? <clears throat> Trusting in God for what he will do. Would you close your eyes this morning as we pray? As we close this morning, we'll have our prayer team up front and they would love to pray with you. If you'd like a, someone to come and partner with you and pray this morning. But I, I would just want to ask you right now, just as you have your eyes closed, is there anyone here this morning that says, you know what, I, I need God's resources to come through for me today. I, I'm feeling like I need to be resourced by God, whether that's financially, whether that's creativity, whether that's with some joy and peace that I don't have that I need him to show up with. Maybe that's a car. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's something that, that I just think is so out of reach. Maybe it's a ministry that God's called you to, but there just doesn't seem to be enough. Lord, we ask right now for an abundant provision for your people in the name of Jesus. You see these hands all over this room, Lord. You see. You see, Lord God. And you know the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that you remove from within our heart any selfish ambition. Lord, we aren't here to elevate ourselves. We're here to elevate you. And so, Lord God, we just take out even of our hearts any selfish motivation. And we say, God, I want to live for you. Lord, I need, I'm in a desperate place. I need you to resource me. And Lord, would you show up and resource this vision? Would you show up and resource this family? 
Would you show up and resource, Lord, this ministry in the name of Jesus? Would you resource this education? Lord God, would you resource this career right now in the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, we ask that you come and bring your resources in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would resource a a peace that passes understanding, that it would come overflowing into the hearts and minds of your people. Those who have been stuck with lack, Lord God, would experience an overflow of your peace, would experience an overflow of your joy, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that you would open up creative channels for your people. Lord, the people that have felt stuck, people that have felt stuck in in job situations, in work environments, Lord God, that, that every door seems to be closed, Lord, I pray that you would open up new avenues new directions, new creativity, Lord God, to go a different route. Lord God, I pray that you would begin to show your people what you have put in them. Show them every talent and every ability. Show them what you are, what they are capable of in your strength. And I pray, Lord God, that you would come and you would equip us with your resources today. We praise your mighty name. Praise you, Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you'd like prayer this morning, please come forward. Pastor Mike's going to close us, and then Pastor Matt will come up and dismiss us in a moment.